This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. We started the conversation on Tuesday with our Recovering Politicians panel by talking about the big Rogers outage on the Friday before, how poorly it was handled not only by the communications team at Rogers, but also by the Trudeau Liberals in Ottawa. Former Toronto City Councillor Glenn DeBearmaker was filling in for former Ontario NDP leader Howard Hampton. Lisa Raitt, former Deputy Leader for the Federal Conservative Conservatives was with us, as was Charles Souza, a former Liberal Ontario finance minister. While filling in for Libby, I asked them each about their thoughts on the lack of communication by Rogers for the first several hours of the outage on Friday. Yeah, I'm fully relying on Rogers uh, for all the activity I have at home, and I was cut off completely. Um, I don't have the same concerns as many would have if they were fully reliant. I ended up going to my brother's who has Bell Mobility and Bell Usage, so we were still able to coordinate and do Zoom meetings. But it's very disturbing. And it's disturbing on a number of fronts in that it's becoming a vital service. And for businesses, it's essential for healthcare and others. Um, we have to take a different look at the way we view our reliance on, on telecommunications because it's so dependent now. It's almost like electricity, uh, any vital service Mm -hmm. that we would require for defense, for that matter. There's a lot of security risk that we have to also be aware of when it comes to telecommunications. And even when you think, Charles, I mean, the last line of defense uh, was the television news or the radio news. And in a lot of cases, people are listening to the radio on Alexa. They'd have to go out to their cars and listen. I mean, we are tethered to communicate or to technology beyond belief, really. You know, it's a wake-up call, and it's, it's probably a good thing this happened, as, as, as tough as it was for many businesses, in that we now have a bit of a shock that's con- come to the system, that we are vulnerable. It happened for a day. Some are still suffering. There's been a few days for a few others, but it means that we have to now take measures to protect ourselves going forward. Let's get initial thoughts from Lisa Wright on the big outage on Friday and how it was handled. So I was at Calgary Stampede, and I'm not a Bell. Sorry, I'm not a Rogers. I just told you who I am with. I'm a Bell. <laughs> okay. So I ended up, I ended up uh, having service, but my colleagues who were there did not, which made it extremely difficult uh, for us to make sure that we were coordinating clients and getting to places on time. But that's an annoyance. Charles is exactly correct. This is about more than annoyance. This is about things that are extremely important to the well-functioning of our society. And I would say having 911 availability would be one of them. The other is actually being able to transact transact um, payments. And a lot of places, small businesses, lost the ability to do that. Not a lot of people have cash. Some ATMs weren't weren't working. And that gives people a little bit of a panic. So silver lining to this is that there's a greater understanding now of the critical pieces of our lives that we need to make sure can function. The hard part, though, Jane, is going to be how are these telcos 
going to parse that out? Are they going to have separate systems depending upon whether or not it's a, it's a nice to have uh, so you can watch Netflix or if it's a we need to have it for the functioning of our society. So lots of work to happen in this area, for sure. On that first day, Glenn, I mean, it was it was at least four or five hours before Rogers even released a statement. And certainly we weren't hearing anything from the federal government either. Uh, yes. And my reaction was a big, oops, you mean the entire country can be shut down because some machine somewhere got something put into it or a little system fixed? Uh, crash the entire nationwide infrastructure. I mean, it's it's pretty astounding, very concerning. I am glad that it it, it happened. I'm not glad that it happened. Actually, I am. I'm glad that it happened now when when something even worse didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I can only hope that I I just assumed silly me that that these companies would have a backup system. I, I have a car in my driveway. It has a spare tire. <laughs> I just assumed that these, you know, brilliant scientists that are running these companies would have a backup system, uh, and maybe they do, but it obviously didn't work. So I can only hope that going forward, these companies will have to sort of say, okay, oops, if one of us breaks down, maybe they should share the system. What what if all three went down at once? Like, I don't know. I'm a guy who has a cell phone. They get get our money to take care of us, and they didn't do it in this case. Former Toronto City Councillor Glenda Bearmaker filling in for former Ontario NDP leader Howard Hampton, Lisa Raitt, former Deputy Leader for the Federal Conservatives, and Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister. Fightback's Recovering Politicians panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. City issues are always the focus of our Tune Into the Town panel on Thursdays. We learned this past week, longtime Toronto City Councillor Denzel Minnan-Wong would not be seeking re-election in October. He's a deputy mayor and a key ally of John Tory. So the question is, how will this affect the right-left balance on council, especially when it comes to housing policy and the push to intensify and densify our neighborhoods? At the same time, prominent urbanist Gil Peñalosa, a friend to Zoomer Media, has announced he is joining the Toronto mayoral race. What impact will his candidacy have? To talk about these and other issues, Libby was joined by Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor at Blog TO, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and David Crombie, former mayor of Toronto. First of all, I think it's really good for the forthcoming campaign because it'll be far more uh, a campaign of ideas and uh, that need to be examined and dealt with before we move before we move on. Um, secondly, I think it'll it'll be good for John Tory. I, I don't know that Gil Penelos expects to be the next mayor of Toronto, but he's a well-known urbanist around the world, uh, and I think he's going to focus on three or four issues that are vital to the future of the city. But one of those, of course, is one we've talked about earlier. And that is reminding ourselves that there may be great vanity projects around that we'd like to follow, but we've got fundamentals that need, that are fraying at the edges. The place needs to be making sure that we're running it well and not just running it. Um, 
And I think you'll find Gil talking about that. He'll talk about housing, which he knows a lot about. And even more so, he'll talk a lot about the importance of the, of the ravines, the importance of green, of the green world. It's one he knows well. He was the parks commissioner in Bogota, Colombia. So this, it's a really good news for the race. It's good news for the campaign and it will be good news for the city. Lauren, I mean, he is well known around the world as an urbanist, but uh, that doesn't necessarily translate to name recognition here in Toronto where he's running. No, that, that's true. I mean, I am familiar with him through his work with 808 Cities um, and all the neat ideas that they've brought forward to the city. But like, if I weren't a reporter writing about that, I would not recognize his name necessarily off the top of my head. Though I do think that if he gets his ideas out there, I mean, when he was the parks commissioner in Bogota, he created some 200 parks. I know that a lot of people in my age bracket really want parks because we don't have backyards. Um, if that, these kind of messages get out there, I do think he'd have a lot of support, but definitely not the same name recognition as as Tory or any other high profile candidates we've had in the past. And of course, he's been extremely active on this whole issue of Vision Zero. His his nonprofit, 8 to 80, he is the, the reason for that name is that cities should work for people who are either 8 or 80. Karen, what do you think of this? I agree that it's, it's good for the city to have debates and that, um, you know, Tory is very popular. He did, everyone agrees that he's done a great job, but um, there's no question that without having the scrutiny of an election, then issues, as David mentioned, they, they, they don't get discussed. And, and, I, and I also think that the mayor, Mayor Tory, if he's un, unopposed, and he can't assume he has a mandate for anything. But this way, if he wins the election, which I expect that he will, he then can claim that he has a mandate with more legitimacy. So I, I do think it's better for the city. I think it's better for Tory. And uh, and good for him. Good for Gil um, Peloso? No. Penalosa. Penalosa. Because I, I met him when I was a city councillor, and he was a very engaging, charismatic individual yeah. that, that can clearly articulate a vision for cities in general. And, Bogota certainly had an incredible transformation under his watch. And so it, it's exciting to see that that kind of caliber is uh, brave enough to enter a race where name recognition really means everything. And he's certainly facing an uphill battle. But that being said, I think the city will benefit from his very clear articulation of a vision for what our city could look like. And, and you know what, Lauren, you and I are going to have a job trying to get Greater Toronto to pay attention to those things. Seriously, yeah. like some of his campaign um, like platform things that he's running on are really, really interesting. Like he's talking about reducing speed limits in school zones everywhere to 30. We've been talking about that like, with Vision Zero for years. But it hasn't worked. A no. Vision Zero has you know, not was worked. It? Way, it was been, what, a decade now? Like Maybe less than that. But I mean, we're still having people die every every year, all the time on the streets of Toronto, pedestrians, elderly people, cyclists, Vision Zero isn't working, so something needs to happen. That's Fightbacks. Tune into the town panel, heard every Thursday after the noon news. Lauren O'Neill, Senior News Editor of Blog TO, Karen Stintz, CEO at Variety Village, and David Crombie, a former mayor of Toronto. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. Coming up after the break... Rising interest rates and Zoomers. How does the latest Bank of Canada 1% hike affect you? We will discuss next.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now to the conservative leadership race and the fallout from the disqualification of Patrick Brown earlier this month. Both Brown and members of his team are trying to challenge that decision, but they've acknowledged the appeal may not work and say Brown would support Jean Charest if he's not allowed entry back in the race. His campaign co-chair, John Reynolds, has already gone over to the Charest campaign. Meantime, an Ontario Superior Court justice has overturned the controversial appointment of a Brampton City councillor, an appointment that was opposed by Brown and his allies, who are pitted against a faction of equal size that opposes him. On Wednesday, Libby checked in with liberal strategist Bob Richardson, senior counsel to national public relations, and John McEtitian, Patrick Brown's campaign manager. Well, there's a problem, right? The clock is still ticking. I mean, if the party had actually wanted to do the right thing, they could have either suspended the leadership like they did uh, a couple years ago during covid uh, while Elections Canada did its work, or they could have allowed Patrick to continue running while there was an investigation of what most people believe will turn out to be nothing. But sadly, uh, the clock is running, uh, ballots are being delivered, and people are filling them out and sending them back. So it becomes a fait accompli. Would you say that uh, Patrick Brown, Patrick has accepted that he's out of the race? No, I wouldn't say accepted. I, I would say, and it's, and it's a difficult situation, right? When you've been wronged, when something's so glaring and clearly not coming from a place of justice, no due process, uh, you know, uh, you, you have a choice. Uh, you know, you can fight or you can just accept it. And, you know, uh, us kind of normal people deal with it when we get a parking ticket. Uh, you get a chance to, or a speeding ticket, you can uh, you can appeal it, you can end up in a court system, and there's a, a process for having your say. But the way the Conservative Party has staged, managed this situation, uh, they're saying there's not even an appeal process. And after they did a couple things clearly against the rules, like denying him the list of members, and uh, it's very difficult when you're judge, jury, and executioner uh, so accepting it? No. Um, I, I'd say he isn't accepting the situation. He's fighting for what he believes is his rights and what we believe collectively is the rights of over 150,000 uh, members to join the party to support. Bob Richardson, is the perception, uh, as far as you know, in all kinds of political circles or the public that Patrick Brown is the victim here? Or w- what is the fallout from this? I think if there's a bit of a conundrum around uh, around Mr. Brown, on the one hand, I think the Conservative Party has handled this in an appalling fashion. You know, an 11 p.m. announcement, no press conference, no ability to ask questions, uh, no recourse, uh, a split vote by the executive and those uh, involved. When you're taking a candidate out of a race, that's a big deal. And you better have your ducks all in order, and you better be transparent about it. And they really weren't. So that's the negative part. 
The other part on it, and this may be fair or un- unfair, Patrick Brown is a bit exhausting politically. You know, like he always seems to uh, have some some problems around him. Whether that is fair or not, I happen to think he's been a pretty good mayor of Brampton, to be quite honest. Uh, but, you know, he's got problems in Brampton with his council and some people, you know, raising concerns about some cozy relationships. He had problems at the province, you know, documented by the ethics commissioner of the legislature and also by folks in his party. And now federally, there are, you know, complaints obviously raised against him as well. So, you know, I think Mr. Brown does need to ask himself, because I think at the end of the day, look, he's a smart, hardworking, committed politician. But I think he needs to ask himself, what am I doing that I have to do differently so I don't have this following me around all the time? And I think that's a fair question. John McCondition, anything you want to leave us with? Maybe simply that, you know, Patrick's example of public service is just a good reminder that, uh, you know, in Ontario, uh, the, the deadline for filing your papers is August 19th. And that anybody who's thinking of, you know, running or adding to their community, they've got an opportunity through either their local council or through school boards. Those are all elected positions. And, uh, more good people putting their name forward is something we could all use. John McAtishan, Patrick Brown's campaign manager, and liberal strategist Bob Richardson, senior counsel to National Public Relations. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Wednesday, we Canadians learned of an even bigger interest rate hike from the Bank of Canada, a 1% increase, the most aggressive rate hike since 1998. So the key lending rate is now at 2.5% as the central bank tries to quell rising inflation, which is at a nearly 40-year high. Will this be enough of an increase to stop the runaway inflation we've been experiencing? And what about the hit to our retirement portfolios? Joining Libby to answer these questions, Alan Small, Senior Investment Advisor with Alan Small Financial Group, IA Private Wealth, and Gordon Pape, Editor and Publisher of the Internet Wealth Building and Income Investor Newsletters. Basically, I think it's a a situation in which the Bank of Canada is trying to uh, recover from the terrible mistakes it made last year. You may recall last year, uh, they were uh, telling us that inflation was uh, transitory. And actually, that was the same message that we were getting from the U.S. Federal Reserve Board, when in fact, anyone who's completed uh, Economics 101 knew that uh, after the massive government deficits incurred in 2020 uh, to stimulate the economy at the time of the lockdowns, that uh, this was inevitably going to play through in an inflationary way because it was simply printing money out of nothing. And that's the formula for inflation. So now what they're trying to do is they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle and the uh, 1% interest rate hike today uh, is uh, a method of trying to um, convey to the Canadian population that uh, indeed they're now really serious about this and they're going to keep working on it until they get the inflation target back down to their uh, 2% level. But they also said, and this is very important, that that probably isn't going to happen until 2024, late in 2024. So 
that means I think we have more interest rate packages coming along the way. Alan, I can tell you uh, yesterday I worked up the courage to look at my portfolio for the first time in a while, and uh, it wasn't a really pretty picture. I imagine that your clients are experiencing the same thing. Yes, uh, I think everyone, unfortunately, is experiencing uh, similar downturns in their portfolios. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting, though, uh, you know, obviously doing this for a while, I've been through a lot of uh, the ups and downs, whether it was the financial crisis, uh, COVID crisis, uh, March of 2020, financial crisis in 08, or, or raising uh, raising rates into a slowing growth economy. Um, you know, I think investors at this point, they, they seem to have a, a little bit more patience. I think they're understanding uh, as uh, what's going on out there. They're understanding a little bit better. Uh, I know that, yes, uh, you know, there was an easy money policy for quite some time, which has uh, come back to, to bite us a little bit. But I think you also have to look at other factors that are causing this higher inflation, such as oil prices, such as uh, labor issues. Uh, these are, in my opinion, two of the, the top factors that have caused uh, the price or, or inflation to rise as significantly as it has. And I think the, the Federal Reserve, the Bank of Canada, is trying to combat these things. And in my opinion, it's unfortunate because uh, the the issues they're, they're, they're attacking or what they're trying to do is is dampen the demand side of the equation. They're trying to slow people's demand for goods and services, trying to slow down the economy. And in fact, what we're probably going to see is an uptick in unemployment at some point down the road because of it. When when really, uh, what we should be doing is trying to figure out how to how to get more oil out there in the in the in the big world so we can bring down energy costs or get more people working to to hopefully improve supply chains and, and get restaurants and businesses back up running full capacity. The idea of you know cash making you a little bit more, I think, is a great idea. But also remember, be flexible. These times are changing quickly. This too will shall pass. If you put yourself into a, a locked-in GIC, which GICs for the most part are locked in, you may want to get out of it when things do change. So you may want to look to you know some sort of bond instead, some sort of corporate bond or government bond, which can be sold where you can get out and move into something else should the, uh, you know, things change, interest rates stop rising, inflation start coming down. So I think you want to stay flexible at this time. I want to see, I think you want to stay diversified. And if you can do those two things, I think you'll handle these difficult times a lot better than most. Alan Small, Senior Investment Advisor with Alan Small Financial Group, IA Private Wealth, and Gordon Pape, Editor and Publisher of the Internet Wealth Building and Income Investor Newsletters. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Joyce in Mississauga phoned about getting up to date with her COVID booster shots. I'm in a long care, uh, long care home facility, and um, I haven't. I've been fighting like crazy to get my third shot. I haven't had it, 
Uh, I'm getting a little panicky now because um, what they're doing here in this particular establishment is they're bringing in a lot of people from outside. I've been I've been basically staying in my room uh, with a ma- and wearing a mask because um, I'm terrified of getting it. Because I don't, they're not, they're not giving. I need the visor, and they're not giving it to me. And there's other things going on in here now. Um, they're bringing. Um, it's a four-story building, and now they're clearing out the first floor. And they're bringing in patients and transients from uh, Trillium from the hospital in here. And now we, I don't know what, it's just getting, it's, it's very bad in here. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Roger in Caledon, who phoned about the Rogers outage that affected 12 million Canadians. Uh, as a former IBM field rep, uh, the answer to this, uh, the, 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 the real answer to the, uh, the system going down for Rogers is, honestly, it's going to happen again and again. It will happen. The real answer is to have a backup I have a Rogers and another cell phone company that I, that I carry, and it, I learned that from IBM. And at IBM, as a field rep, you're going out to clients. They don't want excuses, okay? You're, IBM's charging them hundreds of dollars an hour, and they don't want to hear an excuse that Rogers cell service is down, so I can't do your work for you. It's mm-hmm. unacceptable. Mm-hmm. As, as you can hear from everybody in, in the country saying, this is completely unacceptable. Well, with IBM, they don't. They don't put up with that. They, they make sure if you're a field rep, you have two phones and you don't run into situations like that because right. it really is unacceptable. Right. right? No, thank that, you for that. That is the answer. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. And call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fightback. The best of Fightback is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.